CNC Masterpiece right here on 105.3 The Fade. Got me, Kevin Hagelin. Corey Majors is back in the studio. Somehow. Mike Bassick is here. Reginald is here. As if that wasn't enough of an all-star crew, we also have Brian Broaddus in studio with us for the entire show. Welcome, Mr. Broaddus. Thank you very much. I usually am the guy driving around, uh, going to the uh, the star, listening to you guys broadcast, so it's nice to be with you today. Woohoo! I was going to ask you this question. Is this going to be your first time ever to be on Radio Row? Have you been to Radio Row before? I've been to Radio Row uh, when the Super Bowl was here. Okay. But I have never been to Radio Row, but yes, this will be my first time. Radio Row, where was Radio Row in Dallas? It was in Dallas. It was at the, the Sheridan. Downtown. Yep. It was downtown. It yeah. And yeah. we actually, our booth, I believe, had like the best access possible at the time because oh. Ted was awesome. Yeah. Uh, and so we got a, we had a great spot where, as far as our booth was concerned. Rest so. in peace to the man. Thank you, sir. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, I, I caught one of the segments of Sean, RJ, and Bobby arguing about the quarterbacks. <laughs> so we went through that yesterday and today. I wanted to take a look at USA Today has the 57 greatest NFL teams to play in the Super Bowl. So not necessarily just the winner. Is there a team, because the team I always say got very disrespected in the 92 Cowboys, is there a team that immediately jumps to your mind as, I think that was the best Super Bowl team ever? Not just Cowboys. I mean, all of them. Um, I mean, the the defense that was Baltimore was pretty spectacular. Like, watching that, especially considering maybe Trent Dilfer wasn't uh, Peyton Manning. Uh, is that too far to, to say? <laughs> I feel like that is a he very... He wasn't Cooper Manning. What do you mean? Right, yeah. <laughs> I, that is a very fair so, point. So, that was, like, that was a lot of fun team. I, I'll tell you, I know this is really wild, but that Saints team was a blast, too. Uh, maybe not the best though, because, yeah. but they were, they had the offense, they had the quarterback and they had the defensive players, but you're a big breeze guy. Right? I am a huge Drew Brees fan of that. So man, I'm going to, I do, I will go with the 90 is a 92 Cowboys yep. team. That's the team, man. That's, that is the team right there. I know other team. That is also what I think. I will warn you. That's the greatest team you've ever seen? Yes. Very disrespected in these rankings. I have one, and maybe it's because it's when I started getting into sports and really recognizing it, and then I fell in love with a guy named Walter Payton. I thought the 85 Bears were one of the best teams I ever saw. Now, I'm very young, just getting into watching sports, but – the 85 Bears, to me, were a team that just seemed like you couldn't even compete against them. I think the 85 Bears, the 91 Dolphins, uh, excuse me, 91 at the time, the 91 Washington team, and the 72 Dolphins are teams yeah. I've heard a lot. Broadus, do you have one that stands out? And then I want to dive into the 90s specifically, where you can give us some very unique insight. Yeah, I felt like, though, growing up as a kid, the first Super Bowl I remember was on uh, in 1971. That was the Cowboys and the Colts. Right. And I remember the Cowboys. And then the next year, the Cowboys beat the Dolphins uh, in a Super Bowl as well. And I kind of remember, you know, that's when I kind of started – those Pittsburgh Steelers teams were just hard for the Dallas Cowboys to beat. Yeah. The 72 Dolphins team, the one that went undefeated, was, I mean, it just outstanding. The way that they the way that they played uh, defense, Don Shula, Bill Arnsbarger. I mean, they had just all these players' offense. They had Paul Warfield on the outside. 
you know, Bob Greasy made the Hall of Fame uh, basically because he had one of the, you know, with Larry Zonka, the running game, uh, the, the way they were able to block up front. I, I mean, that was one of the best teams that I had ever seen. Uh, I, you know, I, 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 the, the teams that when I talk about those Cowboy teams, I know you'll get into that, but I'll save that and let you go, uh, you know, ask me some questions that, but I agree with Mike about that 85 Bears team. I, I just think what they did, if you go through them and the Ravens, that you go through the opponents that they yeah. had, they didn't give up any points. How yeah. about this? I mean, shutout after shutout after shutout. And, you know, Jim McMahon, the way that he played in that game, I mean, they, they just, they dismantled the Patriots in that game. I just looked up the Chicago Bears playoff run in 85. I've got it. Yeah, let's, let's They won 91 to 10. Yep. Yeah, exactly. That was their yeah. final score in their yeah. three games. Which yeah. means they didn't give up any points until the Super Bowl. Yeah. Because, so yeah, when it was did it? 45 to zero yeah. after two two games. Okay, so is I think. Is that fe- good? I mean, not if you're the other team. <laughs> it is. So number five on the list is that 1991 Washington team. I have heard some people who believe that's the best team of all time. Number four, and this is per USA Today, so take it for what you will. Number four, the 1972 perfect Miami Dolphins Dolphins, team. Mm -hmm. Number three, for a while, I thought this was the team, is the 1989 49ers. 49ers, yeah. Remember that team went 14-2. and They destroyed the Broncos in the most lopsided Super Drink Bowl so ever. so many Coca-Colas at the skating rink that didn't day. Didn't you get a Coke every time the 49ers scored yeah, or scored you wa- a touchdown? When you walked into the skating rink because Pops wanted to, I guess my dad, I'll call him dad because I don't call him Pops, but he wanted to go in to, to watch a Super Bowl party. So I got dropped off at the skating rink at Broadway Skateland in Mesquite, and I walk in and they're like, pick a team. And I'm like, Niners, I guess. Because back then I believed in AFC, NFC, root for that. Now yeah. I don't anymore. And I said, Niners. And they said, all right, here's your ticket. Every time they score a touchdown, go get a Coke or a drink. And I was like, awesome. And they scored, what, 58 touchdowns that yeah, day? Yeah, that was so, 55 geez. to 10. It was a great day for yeah, a kid thanks like a me. a lot, Leon Lett. And then, yeah, I know. I still think about that as well. We should have had 59. No, I'm with you on that. And then second was the one I, I guess I hadn't really thought of because this was before – I was really, really focused on football is the 1984 San Francisco 49ers. That team, only team in NFL history to go 18-1 and one and win the Super Bowl. Their average margin of victory was 17 points, and they smashed Dan Marino in the Super Bowl. And, of course, number one, you guys both mentioned it. It is the 1985 Chicago Bears. So those are your top five. Now, what I'm interested in specifically is Broadus and everybody's, but Broadus obviously have a unique perspective, is the 92, 93, and 95 Cowboys versus the 94 Niners and then the 96 Green Bay Packers because there are some wild discrepancies with those rankings. Yeah, I felt like that the 94 team was probably better. We were catching them at the end. Uh, you know, we, we were grateful that Carolina beat them in, you know, in 96, in 96 yeah. because and you started to see that the team was it started to decline yeah. in that way. And so you were you were kind of like thinking, OK, we don't have to compete with these guys anymore. But those team, the 92 team, the, you know, the 93 team, 94. I mean, those teams were really, 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 really good. And I kind of felt like that 94 team was the one that that was the best out of that group. Okay, because the the 94 
San Francisco 49ers are sixth on the list. Right. And here's where I think a little disrespect is happening, but you can correct me for sure. The 1996 Green Bay Packers are ninth. All right? So you have that 49ers team, six, Packers, ninth. And then if you want the Cowboys from that time, you have to go all the way down to number 20 for the 1992 Dallas Cowboys. And... They outscored their playoff opponents by 69 points, which nice. is, yeah, <laughs> yes. So I'm not saying they're the 85 Bears, which outscored their opponents by 81, but that is pretty pretty staggering. And during the regular season, they outscored their opponents by 166. That was a hell of a team, and I just don't think that team is so far behind the Niners team that won no. the Super Bowl or the Packers team that won the Super Bowl. No, I mean, the thing with the the Packers team that we had, the the what turned our season around really was going to get Andre Risen halfway through the year. Like the games that, you know, Andre Risen gets let go, and then we picked him up, signed him halfway, and we were 8-0, with, you know, including the playoffs and the Super Bowl with that. So, you know, that, that team, we were always chasing those Cowboy teams. I mean, we never, it, it, I never ever felt like, and I don't think we felt like it in the organization that we we're ever quite there with those teams. I don't feel like that we we tried with those 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 teams that we played, like you know, with them in the playoffs and stuff. We just they were always we couldn't defend them, we couldn't block them. You know, any Dallas team you want to put up against us was, you know, was tough for us to play against. So I never feel like that our team was better, yeah, than any one of those. Even though we we got fortunate. We got really fortunate that Dallas had to play a road game and play in Carolina, and they got injury. You know that that's the one thing because I I don't know. I remember Bob Harlan, the president of the club, he says, "All right, we're going to get Dallas finally." I'm like, Mister Harlan, we don't need Dallas to come up here and play. <laughs> right, we, we, we right, don't right. we don't beat these guys, and I never felt like that any team that they had that we were as as good as that team. Now, and somebody weighed in, and this is a tough thing to compare is from the seven zero two. The 2019 Chiefs are smoking any Cowboys team ever. That's silly. The 92 Cowboys would destroy that Chiefs team because that's pre and post salary cap. And that's why it's tough to, like, compare some of these teams. For the record, the 2019 Chiefs are listed as 35th. That was so. when I heard Broadus go in on Joe Montana this morning for having everything at his disposal. I was yep. like, man, I've never thought of it this way before. Yeah. This changes everything. I and mean, Kevin, he made Jerry Rice. That's not disputed. Did you did your tears <laughs> when you heard that? Did your tears like go like they freeze instantly or no, how did this work? I got caught up because I will point out is like, are any of Tom Brady's teams in the top 15? No, because he wasn't that great. Joe Montana has two of the top three teams because well, he no, led to different generations yeah, of greatness. No, I I just, when I look at these all-time quarterbacks, there's yeah. nothing wrong with Joe Montana. Sure. But I also, I look at his offense. continuity. I look at Randy yeah, yeah. Cross. I look at Jesse Sapulo. I look at, you know, John Taylor, Jerry Rice, Tom Rathman. None of these guys ever left. Honestly, I mean, it, it, and, and it's the same argument you can make for a, a, if you're like if the Pittsburgh Steelers with Terry Bradshaw yeah. or Roger Staubach. Johnny Unitas. Yeah, Johnny Unitas. I, yeah. These guys, I mean, they were very, very fortunate that they played in an era where their teams never turned over. I, I think it, what the reason why that didn't bother me, Corey, oh, is I got caught up. It's bothering up. you right now. No, it really it. isn't because Good I job, got Broadus. caught up. 
listening to Bobby talk about how John Elway was trash. And then, <laughs> and then I kept thinking about how Choppy undisputedly said two years ago that Matt Ryan was obviously a top 10 quarterback of all time. And so well, the, those things were circling through my head. He had Steve Young on his top five list. Yeah, which, again. That, I, was, that was shocking to I me. I love Choppy. That's silly. Yeah. They brought Steve Young in to replace Joe Montana, and he couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. Until yeah. he got a crippling injury. They brought Steve Young in, and he lost. And then they brought Joe Montana back, and he won two Super Bowls with him. And Steve Young could win a Super Bowl for five years. Like, you talk about all the time, Mike, maybe people just didn't watch football in the 90s. I don't know if RJ was not paying attention or not, but Joe Montana was undisputably better than Steve Young. I think this is a tough part about football with only 16 games. And I just go come from a little bit of a baseball brain. And then basketball, you play 82 you accumulate so many games. Stats are going to represent you more if you play 82 to 162 games. In a 16-game season, Like I don't know what, let's say, Jim McMahon's stats were in 1985. Well, how many points did he need to put up if your team is giving up zero? Yeah. Like, once yeah, you got yeah, to yeah. 21 to zero in the third quarter, it wasn't like, hey, man, can you throw some more bombs to Willie Galt right now? Like, no, that's probably not going to happen. So I do think it's tough at times to go back and go, I never watched Troy Aikman play, or I never watched, for me, like, I never watched Terry Bradshaw play a football game. I never watched Roger Staubach play a football game. They're before my time. Right. But to just go back and go, I don't know football back then, never watched football back then. Bradshaw and and uh, Roger Staubach are horrible because Dak Prescott and Tony Romo exceed their stats tremendously. Well, it was a different time back then. And did you watch the game back then? Did you watch all the other NFL teams and have an idea on how much better was Terry Bradshaw or Roger Staubach yeah. to the 23 other quarterbacks in the NFL? Now, this came up on the fan text. Not surprisingly, somebody wanted to know where are the Patriots, the then undefeated until the Super Bowl Patriots. They are 16th on the list. Not surprisingly, they are the highest rated team that didn't win the Super Bowl. I wonder if they would have won that game if they'd be number one. I could see that. I think that I think there would absolutely be consideration for that because yeah. of the respect that we give the Dolphins. Yeah, you know, for their undefeated. Who are four on this list, and then you had to win. Yeah, like the Patriots had to win two extra games, three extra games, whatever. The I think two extra games, so they won even more. But then somebody brought this one up, and I have to admit, I have completely forgotten about this team. If the 2015 Carolina Panthers beat. The Broncos in that Super Bowl, they would have been 18 and one. What? You, yeah. They were 15. Cam Newton yeah. would finally get his flowers then, yeah. huh? They would, they would, and the only game they lost, they lost one game. No, I, they still wouldn't get it. I, well, yeah, that's probably true. <laughs> is they lost the last game of the year. It was it? the next to last game okay. of the year. Yeah. But yeah, so they were 14 and 0, and then they lost to the Falcons, and they could have been 18 and 1. And like, do you ever think about that team? I don't Never. ever think about the. 15 I think about Carolina the fact Panthers. that uh, that Von Miller was the was the MVP for all the the work that he did, and then sure. like, his tweets and everything that he did with the late night. He was on late night shows like directly after the game. Right, that was wild to me. Was that he was doing that? So like, I do think of that, but I don't think of how good that team was. Was that a, so? That was a good Cam Newton year then. Uh, uh, yes, I'm that guessing. was when you got bad good yeah. Cam Newton. And for people on the Cowboys front that are curious. So the 1971 Dallas Cowboys, that is the first team to win the Super Bowl. They're 18th. I told you that the 92 Cowboys, 20th. 
1977 Cowboys, who won Super Bowl 12, are 33rd. The 1993 Cowboys, that was the back-to-back Super Bowl, they're 36th. To Broadus's point about some sliding uh, quality there, the 1995, the Switzer Cowboys are 40th, and they won Super Bowl 30. And then the one Cowboys team that lost that's on the list, 1978. That was the showdown against Pittsburgh to determine who is the team of the decade. They lost Super Bowl 13. They're 49th. So the Cowboys have six teams in the top 57. If Jackie Smith catches that. Is that the one? Is that that was that... the f- that was that one right? And not the first one. I Although, think you are right about that. Roger Staubach, one of the greatest leaders of America ever. I agree. We'll consistently say we had a lot of. He other has one of the greatest that, resumes of any human being. He will in the United say every States time. Heisman I, there, Trophy. We made a lot yeah. of plays that we missed. A lot of plays we should have made in that game. Heisman Trophy served in the military. Went to multiple Super Bowls. Won two of them. That's pretty, pretty good. Yeah, absolutely. We're the Canes. Real estate. Yeah, that's yeah. man. I didn't even think about the after business. Amazing father, yeah. husband, uncle. Like he's just he's got a good Jesuit dude. to be a UIL school instead of a TAP school. Where would you put that in the hierarchy of? It's up there for you. It's up there for Jesuit. We're the Can See Masterpiece right here on 105 through the fan. Coming up next, let's talk a little Mavs Pelicans plus power rankings. Cam Reddish and Texas Tech. How are they all related to the Mavericks? Next, right here on the fan. Here's Nance losing it in the paint. Hardaway picks it up, and he is off to the races, and so is Josh Green, who catches the alley-oop and finishes. Boy, they love Josh Green. Yeah, Mike, before you start running down Tim Hardaway, what a great play that was by him. Yeah, it was. He also made three shots, so that was good, man. Those three (laughs) counted. Out of 18? Three out of 18. Joey Gallo. Fantastic. The Joey Gallo of basketball. But it's a W and Josh Green. Okay, I want to talk about Josh Green, but I just want to carry over a conversation. Friend of the show, right? That's right. He said the S word. And he tried to practice the other day, but they locked him out. locked him out of the facility. Is Did you think, or at what point did you think the Mavs were going to lose? Because they had a, was it 27 or was it 30 that was the highest lead? It was a gigantically... Yeah. They're up by 19 going into the fourth. Yeah. Did you think they were going to lose that game? Yes. I, if, if, I did if, too. If the Pelicans had a challenge, it, the, the Mavericks had, they got trapped in the corner, couldn't get the ball in. You know, they kept like taking these like long shots that were clanging and the Pelicans kept driving it and scoring. I'm like going, this is not going to end well for the Mavs. I thought with four minutes to go, they were going to blow it. I was yeah. like, they're going to blow this game, aren't they? Yeah. And that was a right around when Leon Wood wasn't watching the guy in the corner <laughs> shoot the ball. Yeah. And then he starts jogging up the court, and the guy's laying on the ground. And he's like, it must have been a foul. And he made two out of three. And I think that made it like 89 to 101. And right about then, I'm like, seems like the refs are rooting for the Pelicans, and the Mavs are playing horrible basketball yeah. here. How about this? Dinwiddie, and Dinwiddie's having a solid year. I'm he not going to rag on Dinwiddie, but. This is the stat. Dinwiddie and Hardaway Jr. last night went 7 of 37 from the floor. Thank God Dinwiddie was hitting his free throws or else you do lose that game. That yeah. That is a And Josh Green had a huge three. I can't remember what it made the score, but it was like a four. I think it was a four-point game or a six-point game, and he either took it to a seven-point lead or a nine-point lead, and that was huge because... Hardaway was trying his best to lose the game. He was like, if you give me the ball, (laughs) I will jack it up. Even if there's 40 seconds left in the game and there's 16 seconds left on the shot clock, I'm open. What do you you want me to do? It reminds me of when the story of Josh Hamilton, 
when he had gone up to the plate and he was either 0 for 4 or 0 for 5. And in those 4 to 5 at-bats, he saw 4 to 5 pitches. He literally swung at the first pitch every time. And the game is over. The, the game has been somewhat decided. And Rudy Jaramillo, who's the hitting coach, goes, Josh, I just want you to go up there and I want you to take the first pitch. I want you to time it and I want you to see the first pitch. Yeah. Okay, that's all I'm asking you to do. Don't swing at the first pitch for your fifth or sixth at-bat. Let's just see it. And the first pitch comes, he pops it up, and he comes back to the dugout, and he looks right at Rudy and goes, I can't help myself. And I feel like that's Tim Hardaway Jr. when he touches a basketball. Wow. I just can't help myself. It, it, got, it got problematic at the end. I, I mean, with, but with Josh Green, the, the, the way that he was able to play you know, uh, defense on Brandon Ingram yeah. in those last couple possessions, I mean, he was the only one out there that I'm thinking, okay, please don't foul, please don't foul, but you know, stay tight, stay tight. And he did. He was able to kind of, you know, and I think that's the great thing about Josh Green. You're just starting to see even more growth from him as a player. The shots, you know, his ability to play defense, the energy he plays with. I, I think that's, I think that's really what, uh, you know, the Mavericks clearly, clearly need from him. Yeah. And the defensive thing, I, I felt like it was his big selling point coming out of the draft. Like, that was, well, that was, yeah. You guys follow that NBA draft far yeah. more than me. And I, I think that's what everybody, Rick Carlisle will tell. Well, very good defensive player, tough guy, you know, tough kid. All that. I'm like, how about all the other stuff? I think he's developed a lot of the other stuff. Yeah, because we were, I, I liked the pick when they made it because I liked Josh Green. I was hoping for Tyrese Maxey. I know Sadiq Bay. I watched Bay play the other night. That would have been a good pick too. At, I was at the, I was at the game, and I'm kind of thinking like, oh, I think this is the guy that the K and C. I think yeah. yeah. So yeah, he's a, physically he's a good looking kid. You're like going, hmm. That would have been a good pick, you know. Would have been nice. Would have yeah. been. I mean, we told Donnie to his face. Yeah. Here's the good deal, though. Josh Green is starting to play to a level that you're not going to be that upset about that pick. Yeah. You say hey, you could always look at it and go, "I know." Initially, it's not gonna... you were right, right for yeah. sure. The last yeah. two years, you're like, "Son of a gun!" Tyrese Maxey's turning into a star, Maxie, yeah. yeah. And you're like, "You had that chance," but now that Josh Green is starting to turn into. Your a third player? best yeah. player? I'm, I'm assuming Luke is number one, Dinwiddie's number two, and Josh Green is turning into your third best player on your team? Do you take Wood out of the rotation because you think he's not going to be here? I'm seriously... No, 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 it's a good... I think that the Mavs would say they like Green more than Wood. I agree. I think... I do like... I do like 20 and 10. I get that there's flaws in Christian Wood's yeah. game, but uh, I just lean towards... Uh, Josh Green at this point, and I said it yesterday, I'll say it again because my son was said, oh, I watched you on YouTube. He's watching on YouTube right now because they're out of school. And he said, you said that Josh Green's going to be the next Jalen Brunson. And I said, well, no, not necessarily. He needs to become our next Jalen yeah, Brunson, a different help, style yeah. player. But he has to become our borderline all-star because yeah. there's not really anybody else on the team that can maybe elevate their game to that level. Where do you guys, and, and, and you guys cover the NBA really, really well. I enjoy listening when you guys talk about it. Where do you put basketball IQ on your list when you're looking at players? I mean, I think you can see what the Mavericks think about that, right? Like, that is one yeah. of the fair unfair. That is one of the knocks that they have against Christian Wood. I, I think that's a high, high priority. I put it high, but I was listening to you, Brian, yesterday, and I agree with this. Give me a dumb player who gets 20 and 10 over, I'm going to assume Dwight Powell's a really smart basketball yeah. player. 
but he's played 40 playoff games. And in those 40 playoff games, you have to sit him on the bench almost every game going, he can't compete at this level. Yeah. It's, it's too high of a level. When we eliminate the worst 14 teams in the NBA and they start scouting us and playing us night after night, he can't play in this league. So I would rather have a dumb guy who's going to get me 18 and 8 for 25 minutes than a smart guy who's going to get me three points and two rebounds in 12 minutes a game. Okay, if you could have a low IQ guy, John Collins or Christian Wood. I think they're the same guy. Yeah. I think, unfortunately, I think, correct me if I'm wrong here. Because that's the vibe I'm getting talking to people. I ask, why why is Atlanta interested in moving on? And the first thing everybody says is low IQ guy. Plus, he gets hurt. Like, I will tell you, like Christian Wood's out right now, and I know there's thought that he might bounce back sooner rather than later, but he gets hurt, and so does John Collins. I don't know if it's soaked in to Christian Wood or not. That would be a question for Jason Kidd. Have you sitting him on the bench, bringing him off the bench, not letting him play the last five minutes of NBA basketball games, all the things you did to him the first 30 games, how much did that help? Because I think you're going to have to go over that process all over again if you trade for John Collins. So if you're like, all right, I'm getting rid of Christian Wood. I'm bringing in John Collins, who I think are very similar players. Am I going to have to go through another 30-game process to sit him on the bench, to not play him in the fourth quarter, to really give him tough love, to say, if you don't do it my way, you will not get your way. And so I don't know, like, does Jason Kidd want to go through that process again of punishing a guy to try to get him to play basketball the style he wants him to play. So you guys all think he's the same player. So a trade, I do. a trade like that for the Mavs does nothing for you. Exactly, because I don't think it really doesn't to me because I also wonder about the tolerance level for John Collins. John Collins at least been on a team that was in the Eastern Conference Finals a couple of years ago, whereas Christian Wood, like, I think he tolerates it more. I, this is just speculation because he's been on crap team after oh, no, crap that's, team. There, that was the, the selling point to Christian Wood when they brought him in. Like, the Christian Wood told everybody, hey, listen, I, I, I've i been on bad teams. I don't want to be a guy that's known as a good player on bad teams so that he was going to come in and try. Because, Mike, I know listening to you earlier uh, when, when this all went down earlier in the year before the season or when they got Christian Wood, it was that kind of that, that little bit of a, a, a talk about him and, you know, how he fits and where he, you know, where he really is. Like, oh, here's a player that's very super talented, but, you know, he's always been on bad teams. How do you, you know, how do you, uh, you know, get that guy to, you know, be like, is he missing workouts? Is he skipping on you? Sure. Is he a bad teammate? You know, there were some of those whispers. Yeah. And and to your point, you're, you're not wrong. Your, your sources on that was absolutely spot on. Well, and I, I do like what he gives you. Uh, statistic-wise. I get there's things that statistic-wise you don't get. Like, how many times does he screw up your defense because he doesn't know what the defensive rotations are, what the pick-and-roll situation is with, if this player has the ball and this player's picking, how are we going to defend this? And I get that Christian Wood might not care at all about that situation, and it hurts your defense uh, overall. But I would like to keep him, but to the John Collins point, if the Mavericks are not willing, and it sounds like they are not, they are not willing to go to four years and $77 million on Christian Wood. That is under $20 million a year. Yep. If John Collins is the same player around the same age, he's a year or two younger, I believe. I think two years younger. And he's making $24 million a year over the next three years. That doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. If you traded for John Collins, you're going to pay five more million per year than what you could offer 
Christian Wood. So you're going to get the same player, pay Two him more right, money? Yeah. Like, that doesn't make sense to me. If in, if you want John Collins, you already have him. How much concern, like, I, I know what we were focused on. I just wanted to ask, how much concern about Lucas' foot to go along the way? I'm a little bit concerned, not a lot. I will say this. I do think their schedule, they're going to be underdogs in five straight games till yeah. you get to the break. So I think all road games. All right? road games. I think they're about to go 0-5. I know that maybe I'm negative here. I get it. But I just think Luca. I think, could miss a game or two. But I'm just yeah, guessing. Yeah. I have no clue. Even if he plays in those games, you're going to be underdogs on the road against Sacramento twice, Golden State, Utah, and there's one other game I'm forgetting. Clippers, maybe? Yeah, Clippers yeah. are in there. Yeah. Yes, the Clippers. I mean, yeah. that's... Those are all teams that are right around your record. Some are better than you. And so just like it's weird because in in the deal, they are one loss behind. No, I think they're two losses behind the 13th seed. They only have they have 25 losses, the Mavs. Oklahoma City has 27 losses. Oklahoma City's in 13th place. Yeah. yeah. So like you if you lose five in a row, you could you could literally possibly go to twelfth or thirteenth place in the West. But if you go two and three or three and two, you're still gonna probably be a four through six seed. Yeah. Whose team would you want in that situation going forward? The Mavs or the or the Thunder? I would want the Thunder because they have so many draft picks. And they lost their first overall pick. Chet right? hasn't yeah, played a game this year. Yeah. Home but, but you want all the picks and all the young players, right? Yeah, because I feel like I can maybe do more there. At this point, if you're going to be a team that will not pay luxury tax with a player making $45 million, I don't know how you make the team great. I'm taking, see, I'm not working off those constraints. I am taking the Dallas Mavericks because I am not bound by those same things. I'm willing to not tank a season, but what do we like to say? Organically tank a season in terms of I'm willing to take a step back and maybe be on the wrong side of the treadmill of mediocrity because then you can get back some of your assets and then I'm considering all things because the dumbest thing I keep seeing when people are talking about trading Tim Hardaway, which we'll get to in a little bit, is like, well, you're going to take a step back. And I'm like, great. And I also get salary off the book for two and a half years. Done. So I think I would take the Mavs because I got the guy to build around. I just, I understand with the Luka thing and all that. I just, it's, you watch Oklahoma City play, and they're kind of like, they're kind of a fun team. They are a fun team. They're a fun team, and you're thinking like, okay, who has the better future? You know, maybe the better future is with, you get through this year, you get Luka, and then you try and do stuff with what you always talk about with those picks. You have four first-round draft picks. So, whenever you see the mega deals, it's your four first-round draft picks and your swaps. And so the Mavericks will now, assuming they don't finish in the top 10, which, again, who the hell knows? You can convey that pick onto the Knicks and be ready to roll. Can they really get guys to come here and play with Luka? If they're off the ball, guys, that's why I think searching for a, a really quality big, you might be better off with that. Not with this weather. Like a DeAndre Ayton, <laughs> right? DeAndre Ayton might be better than getting a wing who's I like, I don't want to stand true. in the corner and watch you dance with the basketball for 18 seconds. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree with that. We're the KNC Masterpiece right here on 105.3 The Fan. Don't forget Fan Bowl tomorrow. Revolver Brewing, it's in the corner, closest to Globe Life Field at Texas Live. We'll be going two to five with those roundtables, but if you want to sign up for the paper football tournament with $3,000 in prizes, get there closer to one o'clock. Coming up next, if it's okay with you, Mike, wanted to do a vintage baseball card edition of Baseball Nuggets. Let's do it. And what if I told you I brought one of your cards to talk about as Holy well? Cow. We'll do it next, I'm vintage? right? Vintage?
Well, not quite, but it's still interesting. It's interesting. (laughs) We'll do it next right here on The Fan. KNC Masterpiece right here on 105.3 The Fan, and it is time for a special edition of Baseball Nuggets. Top 10 catchers right now. No, we'll get to that. Johnny Bench. Eventually. Yeah, man. I like your answer better because you said Pudge. Mm -hmm. Manny Sanguian. All right. I want to start. Benito Santiago. From the knees. Is... Tony what, are those, what are all those brothers? Like, it's like seven, <laughs> seven brothers. What did you want to do the Alamars. segment, Kevin? Or no, no, no. About, you want to play am, name a catcher? Let's wait, do are we talking Yadier Molina? Let's do name a catcher. I love Thurman it. Munson, Wilson Contreras. Don I'm Slott. not going to name a catcher. Don Slott, uh, Gino Petrelli. Fine, I'll do it. Bring it. Mike. <laughs> you guys, got Jim Sunberg is. <laughs> All right, I Don want Slott. to. You know what? 877-81-1053. Send in your rando catcher <laughs> that you would like to hear. If Biff Poparoga. Okay, I, I definitely awesome. don't know who that is. Atlanta guy, Braves. Oh, I thought maybe he caught Cy Young or something. Yeah, Biff, Popa, <laughs> Biff Poparoga. Did we say Gary Gary Carter already? Didn't say Gary you, Carter. You were about to say Gary Coleman. He taught, me a, he taught me how <laughs> to hit a little over. bit. Yeah. What? So Gary Carter was one of our roving instructors, kind of like how Michael Young is with the Texas Rangers right now. So Gary Carter with the New York Mets. World Series game. He's going around, and he's in Norfolk in AAA, and the hitters are done with hitting practice, so the pitchers are having hitting practice. And he told me, I thought this was kind of cool. You can maybe tell your son this. He said, don't focus on the pitcher when there's a runner on base, your eyes will get tired of looking at the picture, uh, pitcher. So I'm left-handed. He's like, just kind of look at the shortstop a little bit. And then as you see the pitcher coming set with his hands, then start focusing your eyes on the pitcher. So you don't want to look at the pitcher the whole time he has the ball because until he comes set, yeah. you don't need your eyes focusing on that. So then it's like your eyes come into focus as the pitcher starts coming set with his hands. I like that. I like that a lot. Fascinating. Did we bring up Benji Molina? Rod Barajas. Good Lord. There are so many answers already. Oh, Bruce. Oh, Channel 4 News. Chad Kruger. Jared Saltalamacchia. Fun name. Mm -hmm. That is Johnny Oates. Man, remember when Saltalamacchia was going to be like the gem of one of those trades? And you're like, Because he knocked a homer off of me when he was in Atlanta. You think that's what really sold it? Yeah, that's what they're like, oh, Uh, if he can hit off Bassick. Kelly Shopping. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Friend of the show. All right. So, I'm going to ask you. I'm going to start with you, Broadus. AJ Pierzynski. We <laughs> can get back to the okay. names. Right. Joe Torrey. Oh, my God. Is they sold, I believe it was yesterday, maybe the day before, a brick of eight packs of 1952 oh. tops. Is somebody going to open it? I don't know. What do you think? Is that the year of the, the Mickey, first year of is, tops ever? And that is the Mickey Mantle. That's what I was about to say. Yeah. And Willie Mays. How it much, matters, though, what what series it is. I didn't know this. Yeah, because that was the last series that has the mantle. Right. So my dad was telling me when he collected in the 50s and 60s that tops would put out like series one, even though they wouldn't call it series one, yeah. series two, the printing they wouldn't print all 600 cards at one time. They'd yeah. print like 150 cards and another 150 cards. And that's why your last 150 cards are so rare, like the 52 Mickey Mantle, because 
They're like, well, we're getting close to the end of the year. We're about to have 1953 come up, so we need to start getting ready to make our 1953 tops cards. So that's why the Mickey Mantle is worth way more and yeah. way more rare than Willie Mays. And so this is part of that grouping. Wow. How much do you think for Open eight, them up. How much for eight packs? Because it's uh, in this brick. I, I'm going to guess as long as they say, look, when you open this up, the cards will not be deteriorated and in good shape. You can't How's tell the gum. Would the gum be okay? The, was there gum in there? No, 52? there is gum in there. Also, I will tell you. Does the sugar hurt the card? Yes. Oh, for sure. So maybe it's almost Ooh. only seven cards a pack, Ooh. but there's also a sealant around this eight pack block. So I believe it is original. Like a film. Yeah. What do you say for one eight million pack? dollars? Okay. I went one, one and a half. Two million dollars. It's $873,300. Right. So Mike would have overpaid. So about a hundred K a pack. I don't know what How much God, you open them up and all your, well, get, your best cards like Enos Slaughter or something like that and Warren Spawn and you're just like, those, are, those would be good cards. I know, not but for yeah. $873,000. If you pay that much, you better hit at least one mantle and you probably also want a maze. So, Corey, you yeah. asked a very slaughter would be a good card to ask. A very keen question. Assuming Texas tax rate, that's a tax of taxes of about seventy thousand dollars right. on so that Bronx purchase. Is pretty close there. So yeah, you're about nine hundred and fifty thousand dollars. I just oh. want the person to open them up because I'll watch that live. Oh my god, a hundred percent. The they're, they're all like uh, miscentered, and it, the gum has deteriorated. Four cards every but pack. Is, but is it worth more sealed? Okay, I don't. Think so, although these prices have gone up. About four years ago, these packs were going for sixty to eighty thousand dollars. And now you're at about a hundred sound like a deal, right? Yeah, now. yeah. About a hundred and ten thousand per pack. But yeah. here's the thing. What really helped is the PSA nine My lake house. of Mickey Mantle. <laughs> you get the most badass lake house in the world. What's PSA nine for? The PSA nine sold last year. Which is considered mint. Yes. Nine is considered for five point two million dollars. But the finest known example of a Mickey Mantle is there's a 9.5 in SGC. And that SGC like specializes in vintage cards. It is known as the best Mickey Mantle in existence. It sold for $12.6 million in August. Wow. So I think you like I, I I hear you about the gum, about the miscuts, but you can't help but let your mind run wild. Can I as collectors of cards, can I ask this question? Is the Mickey Mantle 52 card of him holding a bat? Yes. yes. Okay. Mickey Mantle was a switch hitter. Right. Is there is there cards where he's hitting left or right-handed? Yes. Or you're yeah. standing he there has, with the bat? He has pictures of both, which I think is really cool. Does one mean more than the other? No, just the years. Okay. Obviously, 52 is the most. 53 would be your second most. Then he signed a deal with Bowman, so they didn't mm-hmm. make a tops card of him. And I believe 54. I'd have to double check And on 55, that. I think he was just a Bowman uh, client. Yeah. And, they, and they didn't make cards of him in tops that year. And then Willie Mays has one year where they didn't make it because he's serving in the military. So, um, yeah, I'll pull up a picture of the 1952 tops for you. He is, he is cool. standing with the bat on his right shoulder for that. Now, to go along with this, Corey, what card did I just hand you? Well... It says on the back, Mike made good on a second chance. Released by the Nationals prior to 2006 spring training, he piqued interest again by going 
11 and 0 for the Diamondbacks AAA team after his release. Was that the Sidewinders? Washington yeah. re-signed him and found a valuable 20 start arm. Basic and his father of the same name are the only dad and son duo to have played for the Texas Rangers. Oh. Now, flip back to the front. Sandy Alomar Jr. then later played for the Texas Rangers, so Sandy Alomar Sr. and Jr. are the only other two. Tell me if you notice anything strange about that card, Corey. Does he have hair? I mean, he's got his cap on. I did not so. have hair. It he doesn't looks, have something on his bat or his glove, does he? Like, It looks autographed. <laughs> does it? Uh, it's I mean, a, it is a facsimile signature, but do you think... It looks like JB1. Yeah. Now, Mike, I'm going to let you take over the story, but I brought that card I got from somebody at the Dallas Card Show... That is absolutely a different player's facsimile signature on Mike Bassick's <laughs> baseball card. It's Josh Bard. What? Okay. Who we both signed together. We were we were one of the best recruiting classes that Texas Tech ever had. Now, he ended up going to Texas Tech out of Colorado uh, High School, but I ended up signing pro. But So I know Josh Bard, great guy, but I remember when the cards came out. And I got my, this is my first ever tops yep. card because I have Bowman cards and tops total, but just your base top set. This is my only card that they made of me. And I got, I was like, God, I'm in spring training wearing 75 because I pretty much remember. Got a chance, I think, with that I was number. So, <laughs> I was so mad because I did not want to sign back with the Nationals. They released me the year before. And my agent was convincing me, I really think this is a good place. Bob Boone loves you. He saw you pitch last year in Tucson, and (laughs) Boone loves you. And I'm telling you, you're going to go to spring training with a real chance to make the team. And back then, if you had a number above 59, 60 through 99, you had no chance of making the team. They were telling (laughs) you, you are an extra here. You are not a real major league candidate or a major league player. I was so mad I had 75 and I got so mad that I wasn't pitching in spring training that we are playing the Dodgers in spring training, and I'm eating M&Ms and drinking a Coca-Cola in the bullpen, which is not your best meal during a game because I'm like, F Jim Bowden, I hate this MFer, and I can't believe this. Well, somebody gets into trouble in the game in like the second inning, and they're like, put Bassick in. Old so number 75 with, goes against Lucy. Number huh? 75, and I have bases loaded, and, and I'm like facing Nomar Garcia Parra, like their best lineup, and I go and I don't allow a run. I go one, two, three, get out of that. And it ticked off Jim Bowden so much. Two days later, they put me in and they made sure I was facing Scott Rowland, Rick Ankiel, who was a good hitter, yeah. and Albert Pulhos against St. Louis. Like he's trying to make sure that I do bad and I keep doing good. At the end of spring training, there's a week left, and I'm still in big league camp, and we're down to about 35 guys for a 25 man spot. And the guy comes to me, our our uh, equipment guy goes, "Hey, you might make this team. What number do you want that's maybe available?" For the season, because I'm wearing 75, and back then you don't want to give me 75. And I said, if I make that this team, I'm wearing 75. There you that go. that there you MF'er go. who gave me yeah. 75, yeah. Jim Bowden, I'm keeping this. That jives with what you know about Bassick, doesn't it? The whole MF'er thing? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, and I was like, that guy who possibly does uh, recreational drugs on the daily, he can uh, have a 75 on his team. Did like Tylenol and Motrin? Is that what you yeah, mean Yeah, if you it? crush it up and make it really white. Okay, gotcha. Oh, did you... Did you Continue the routine of Coca-Cola and M&M's. No. 
No, that was it's not like, like you get a winning combination. I know there. it was good, but there was no way I was going to go with drinking a Coca Cola and M and M's in the second inning but, as a long reliever. But real quick, what did your agent tell you about the baseball card? He called up Tops and he said, "Hey, there's an error on this card. That's not my client's autograph. Can you like stop printing those cards and oh, wow. get his autograph on there? Because when you sign with Tops, you get five dollars when you sign with Tops. It might be more now. It might be twenty bucks. I don't know." When you are a rookie, when you first get drafted, they sign every player drafted to a $5 tops deal so they can make your cards. And you, the autograph you sign when yeah. you're 18, 21 years old is the autograph they use on their cards. And so they have my autograph. They're like, look, we screwed up, but pretty much too bad. It's Mike Bassick. It's not Ken Griffey Jr. <laughs> that card is staying that card. Oh, so now, but, but are rare cards like that kind of the deal that are worth more? It's not as much as it used to be. I know people get there was a time, and like if you had the Frank Thomas no name on it rookie card, like good for you, you're gonna make a lot. Because they of started money. printing ones yeah. with Frank Thomas. If they would have stopped making this card, mm-hmm. and they would have said, "All right, we've printed twenty percent of our quality right now, or twenty percent of our quantity." We are now going to make sure Mike Bassick has his autograph on his card. And so this it would make it probably, let's say, a three to five dollar card if you had the Josh Bard autographed Mike Bassett card. We're the KNC Masterpiece right here on 105 through the fan. Coming up next, answering the tough Mavs questions about THJ, Christian Wood, Nico, and whatever else you got. We'll do it next right here on the fan.